Hey there, doing a little mobile episode here. Thought I'd give it a little space after that last every night to school night. And not just immediately stack a ton of night schools on top of it. Let it breathe. You gotta let those every night to school nights breathe a little bit. It's interesting how you can just lose your mind when you do something like this. Like you start seeing the two different shows you do under the same banner as things that need to breathe (laughs) without the other show immediately piling on top. Beautiful weather's back. We had some rain here. Mobile episodes require a weather report because, hey, we're the Daily Show. And unlike that Daily Show, the old Daily Show, the new Daily Show, this one gives you accurate weather reports. And we never joke around. Although, honestly, I don't think you can consider the Daily Show humor. But we won't get into that. Actually, we will. Actually, actually, you know, I, I, I don't... When something isn't funny to me, I still acknowledge that it's humor. I still acknowledge that it's comedy. I don't say, oh, it didn't make me laugh, therefore it's not comedy. It's like people who don't like a certain style of music, so they say it's not music. Rap isn't music. Haven't heard that one in a while, though. Because even old people listen to rap now. That was an old person line. It ain't even music. Rap, it ain't even music. Although it's funny, because a friend and I, we went for a walk. We occasionally use this Randonaut app. Application called Randonaut. And it generates a random point that you're supposed to go to, and it gives you directions there. And there are people who have reported experiencing synchronicity through this. They've reported... It's a thing where you're supposed to... You're supposed to pinpoint an intention. You and whoever you're doing this with, you're supposed to pinpoint an intention, and it could be anything. And then the rando knot will lead you to that place, and that intention may or may not manifest at that place, and it's fun. You know, when she told me about it, I'm like, this is fun. There's no reason to read into it anymore. Just do it. Because you know what? There's actually something extremely fun about just being told to go to a random place. But the tricky part about it is it sometimes tells you to go down someone's driveway. It sometimes tells you to go to private property. And I'm sure they have fine print. I'm sure in their terms of service, there's something about how they bear no responsibility for those times where the rando not tells you to go down someone's driveway. But it can lead you to interesting places. Like, uh, we were doing it, we, we spent like a, an evening doing it about a month ago. And uh, that was interesting because it did lead us to some strange places that we otherwise wouldn't have found. It also tried to lead us down some driveways and onto people's property. But it did take us to a couple places that we otherwise never would have gone to. Like, it took us to this rural spot. Not rural. I mean, rural's relative. By rural, I... Just so you know, like, when I say rural, I mean, like, houses have giant pieces of property, and they're not next to each other. (laughs) 
And so it took us to an area like that and it, it told us to go to this little pull-off. Like there was this street with no sidewalks, just kind of wildness around, but there was a little gravel pull-off on a corner and you could tell it wasn't a place where people are supposed to park. It's there just basically in case of emergency. There's a little gravel pull-off where the corner is. And it told us to go there and sure enough there was a little trail and we went down it and somebody had cut down a bunch of trees and built a little fire pit and there was a bunch of garbage and this is a place where nobody has any business being it's a place where it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere and nobody really would stumble upon it unless you live in that neighborhood and walk that dangerous street because it's this high-speed rural road without any sidewalks or really any places to walk at all not even a green belt or anything to walk along not even any grass and so it's a strange place that it, the fact that and, and it's not pinpointed on any map you know it's not a place that you can identify from any map so it, it doesn't tell you to go to like defined locations it's it's truly random but it took us to this spot and we went down this little trail and somebody had cleanly cut off a bunch of skinny trees and then spray painted the tops of them. And I, I initially thought it was like maybe the city did it. But then I noticed that they spray painted random shit, like random graffiti on trees. Clearly the city didn't do it. It was probably a teenager or just some strange dude went there. But the trees that were cut down, there was no reason for them to be cut down. And they were cut off completely smooth on top. And then I found a chainsaw manual. I didn't find a chainsaw, but I found a chainsaw manual. So it was clear that they had cut these trees down with a chainsaw. Probably a brand new chainsaw. And they left the manual there, which is obviously a little eerie. You get led to this weird remote little ritual spot. Because it looked like somebody had their own little garbage ritual where they cut down trees, spray-painted them neon colors, and left a bunch of garbage. They built this little fire pit. There were no beer cans, so nobody's drank there. But they left, like, some garbage, like convenience store crap. I mean, litter is always junk food. You know, just by its nature, litter is always stuff that's bad for you. So there were, like, candy wrappers and that kind of thing. It's not like we went there and we got struck by thunder. But the fact that it led us to this weird little... Somebody had a little ritual there. For whatever reason, they cut down these trees, spray-painted them, and built a little fire pit. And they spray-painted a certain date on the tree. Like, they spray-painted some symbols, and then they spray-painted, like, 5, 18, 17. Like, they had been there on May 18th, 2017. So it was just, it was just a fun little adventure. Again, I'm talking about fun here. Just to make it clear, because I think some people miss, they, they miss the point on that when you talk about synchronicity and just kind of intention. These words that, you know, kind of have a, a silly or even a negative connotation, depending on who you are. Like, I'm not somebody who likes to set an intention, even though I do that all the time. I guess a better way of phrasing that would be, I don't like to phrase it as setting my intention even though that pretty much describes what I do. But a lot of that is just having fun. And that's the issue with synchronicity and things as well. And on the subject of synchronicity, you know, 
some people online, you know, made videos of themselves using this Randonaut app. And it would do different things. Like, the, these young people would have a tendency to... They would set their intention as something like death. And then, it, like, one of the more well-known examples, it led them to the docks in Seattle. And there was a suitcase there. And they made video of the whole thing. Because you could tell it was just a group of teenagers goofing off. You could tell it really wasn't set up to be this way. And it led them to, the, to this very specific spot on the water at Seattle. And there was a, a travel suitcase there. And they noticed that it smelled horrible. It, it looks like it had washed up on the shore, on the rocks. And they, like, dared each other to open it. And they opened it up, and then the smell was absolutely horrible. And they saw that it was filled with, like, garbage bags with something in it. So they called the police, and it was a hacked-up body. And then I think the police found more of those suitcases with more body parts in them. So these kids, they set their intention as death or something like that, and they, they sure found it. And then another one was... Some people, I think there have been a bunch of stories, but uh, one of them is that these two young people, they also set their intention as something bad, like death. Not that death is bad, but you know what I mean. And it led them to this house, like a suburban house, and right as they got there, aid cars and fire trucks were pulling up in droves to this one specific location where it told them to go. And they don't know what happened, but they checked the obituaries, I think, the next week. And sure enough, somebody who lived in that neighborhood had died. So it seems to have taken them to a house where somebody had just died or was in the process of dying. So there's, there's things like that. And those, coincidentally or not, happened when they set some sort of morbid intention. You ever heard of a morbid intention? But... Uh, the weirdest thing that's happened to us so far is there was one day where we were going to walk the dogs and I was thinking of suggesting this one location that's this new park here that nobody knows about that's mainly used by mountain bikers and it's not on any it's not really listed yet because the city bought the property a couple years ago and there's trails and everything back there but it's kind of an obscure place and I was thinking about suggesting it but I didn't I didn't even say it out loud but when we were trying to come up with a place to walk the dogs, that crossed my mind, and I was just like, hmm, maybe I could suggest that. But I was thinking it might be a little intense for the dogs. It's very steep. It goes deep into the wilderness, relative wilderness, because wilderness is relative. And I just had it in my mind is all. But I did not say it out loud. I didn't suggest it. And then... She pulled up the Randonaut and generated a spot, and it told us to go to not just that exact park, but that park has multiple entrances, and there's an entrance that's on the other side that I've never gone through, but I just knew it was there, and I was actually thinking of suggesting we go through that entrance, and we're talking like a couple, a few miles apart, you know, these entrances are, are a few miles apart. And one of them is very close to my house. One of the entrances is actually pretty much down the street from my house. And the other one is in a different part of town because this stretch of wilderness goes quite a ways. And it told us to go to the exact entrance that I was thinking of. And our range was pretty wide. 
you know, the range that we had set for places to go, because that's that's like pretty much the only thing you have control over when it comes to the app itself is the range that you're willing to go. And so we had set a pretty large range, and so it, it, it took us to the exact place, this obscure new park. And it doesn't just take you to parks, like I was saying. It'll take you to people's houses, it takes you to suburban neighborhoods. It's not a, a park generator. Like, it doesn't come up with trails and, and walks for you to go on. It might take you somewhere where you can't even walk. It might tell you to go in, in the middle of the street. It could, it could take you anywhere in the area you're in. But it told us to go to the exact entrance of the exact obscure park in this area that I had in my head originally. So that's weird. And it's fun. And when you start talking about weird experiences like that, and I mean, I of course go into this on the show a lot, but when you start talking about synchronicity, odd coincidences that don't feel entirely coincidental, intention, manifestation, all these things... All these things that are associated with new age spirituality, maybe. People want to shut you down. And it's difficult to explain to them, oh, I'm, I'm having fun. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing this to try to get a sign, you know, from some higher power. I'm not, try- I'm not doing this to try to get some sort of directive from God. Well, I could go into, like, my theories about synchronicity and God and all that. I won't. For once, I won't. But, you know, sometimes when you tell people about these things, they want to just immediately naysay and shut you down. Not that anybody's done that. You know, not that anybody's done that. But, you know, sometimes when you bring those sorts of things up, it's like somebody wants to say, hey, you know, that it's all just, you know, statistical probability and this and that. And, uh, you know, that's fine. I mean, I mean, people are welcome to think that. I have no issue with it. But I think sometimes people miss out on the fact that this stuff is also just fun and exciting. And you can enjoy it for that alone. And if it does seem like there's something more to it, like if it does lead you to a abandoned corpse, or if the place that it takes you to is suddenly a magnet for aid cars and fire trucks. That probably feels a little more significant than, oh, it took me to the park that I was thinking of. That's actually quite a way, the, the opposite entrance from the normal entrance I use that's on the other side of town. That's just fun. And it was a, it was a good place to walk. So that's all that was. But I've talked about, you know, the role, the relationship between technology and the supernatural, and, and supernatural is a word that really has no meaning to me. As any listener of this show knows, it's all nature to me. It's hard to define what is extra or super. Because I'm of the opinion that everything is natural one way or another. Like, is, is a plant that just stuck its head out from the dirt more natural than a plant that is growing super tall and long? No. And I think you can think the same way about technology. Like, is a book somehow more natural than a smartphone? Because a book is, is kind of earlier in the 
development of you know in the timeline of human technology there's something aesthetic about it like i'm not into modern technology on an aesthetic level like i believe a book is much not just cooler and not just more aesthetically appealing i just find the act of sitting down and reading a book to be more enjoyable than reading on a kindle that doesn't mean i'm going to get all john waters about it and say oh if you go to someone's house and they don't have books don't fuck them as john waters famously said in my version of that that I, I one of my best jokes i've ever made which is why i repeat it so often is if you go to someone's house and they don't have a kindle don't fuck them but no even though i do value books more than a kindle i've never even used a kindle but even though i enjoy books more than a kindle i don't think that a book is inherently more valuable or conducive to something than a Kindle. And you can you can have strange experiences related to antiques. You can experience strange things. I mean, there's a reason why most occult symbolism and occult decoration like if you've ever had a friend who's really into the occult like you can kind of predict what their house is going to look like there's going to be a lot of black they're going to have bones antiques but it's all going to be tailored in a certain way there might be actual symbols around but there's a modern version of that and it might not be as aesthetically appealing but you can still access the same phenomena regardless of what technology you use and i think people they have such a strong association between the word technology and modernity that when they hear technology they think of current technology they think of modern technology they don't think of the book as technology even though the printed book especially the mass-produced book is a very new form of technology and there were people and they probably their their opinion probably isn't remembered today but i guarantee you because i know human nature i know that when the book was first introduced when humans first encountered books you know there were people who said this is going to destroy oral storytelling you know there were people who said, you know, if you go to someone's house and they don't uh, believe in the verbal tradition of storytelling, don't fuck them. There, you know there were people who were saying that back then. You know there were people who felt that books were some kind of, you know, j just some kind of unnecessary modern technology that took something away from oral storytelling. There were people who believed that. I guarantee you because they didn't believe in books their story <laughs> is not known today because it was lost but there were people who had that opinion because people always have that opinion people always have there's always somebody who is more of a luddite than their peers and they feel that whatever the modern current technology is is let's just say spiritually inferior to whatever the previous technology was and we have a tendency to look at books today and think 
books aren't technology. Like if, if you're my age or if you're, if you're a living human being, if you are still alive in 2021, you look at books not that differently from the way you look at a plant or flowers. It seems almost of the earth, especially old books. Like if you go into an old bookstore, an antique bookstore, the books almost seem like they just grew out of the earth. And because of that, they seem more potent. And on, a, on an aesthetic level, they are. And aesthetics matter. Talking about intention and all that. You know, if surrounding yourself with antiques, surrounding yourself with older technology, or simply surrounding yourself with wild nature, if that helps clear your mind, if that helps you feel more connected to whatever it is you're doing, well, that's powerful. Aesthetics are powerful. When I, so when I say that I prefer books on an aesthetic level to reading things on the computer or reading things on a Kindle, you know, when I say that that's kind of an aesthetic difference, it's not that I'm downplaying aesthetics, because aesthetics are what can put you in the right mindset to do what you need to do or feel the way you need to, to feel to achieve something or to set an intention, to go back to that. But if you can be comfortable, if you can inhabit technology, modern technology, because see, even I do it. When I say technology, I have a tendency to say it in reference to computers and smartphones. So even I need to catch myself and remind myself that everything is technology. Not everything, but everything we've created is technology. It's just that some of it's earlier in on the timeline. And I've talked on the show a lot about how inhabiting it, inhabiting whatever you're doing fully and how you can inhabit a book. I mean, when you're reading a book that you love, you inhabit it. Like when you're reading a book and it does not feel like a chore and you just keep telling yourself one more chapter, one more chapter. You know, when you tell yourself that, or not, not, not tell yourself that, but when you find yourself doing that, you're inhabiting that book because your mind is fully in that book. You are experiencing that book you're reading. And you can do that with computers. You can do that with, with phones. It's why I jokingly, half-jokingly, refer to smartphones as nature phones because you can inhabit your phone in a pure way. And in doing that, you can facilitate pure experiences. You can experience synchronicity. You know, it's not just the flesh... It's not just nature, wild nature, woods. You can inhabit the woods. I mean, you go into the woods and you're inhabiting the woods. If your mind is there, like if you're taking a walk through the woods and your experience is completely focused on that, if you are immersed in, that, in the experience of walking through the woods, you are inhabiting the woods. Well, if you're walking through the woods and you're thinking about your ex-girlfriend, your, uh, the bills you gotta pay, 
your accountant. Chances are you're not actually inhabiting the woods, even though you're there. You're in the woods, you're walking through the woods. I mean, I experienced this with reading. As much as I love to read, and I tend to read things that I like or love, you can be reading a book and realize that you haven't been paying attention for pages. You've been going over the words in your mind, you've been looking at the words, but it's not going inside, it's not entering you. You are not inhabiting the book. And a lot of people have reservations about the latest technology, myself included. Like, I'm conservative by nature, and I don't mean that politically, although a little bit of that as well, but I'm conservative by nature because when a new form of technology or a new version of existing technology is introduced, I want to avoid it. At least in adulthood. Now that I've been fully formed, more or less, as an adult, you know, when they come out with a newer phone, when they come out with virtual reality goggles, I'm not the person who says, gee, I want to use that. I want to use that. I'm not that person. I avoid using it for as long as possible. Why? I don't know. Like I said, I think it's in my nature to be that way. Whereas there are other people where it's in their nature, they want to be the first person in line to get that thing. They want to be the first person to use that thing. They want to be the first person at a party to be wearing the Lady Google glasses. Which didn't end up being much of a success. The Gaga glasses. Lady Google works for the giant technology corporation Gaga no but I'm, I'm not someone who wants to be the first one to use that so just by nature it's hard for me to inhabit brand new technology and brand new things it's hard for me to get into that but if you can it can facilitate the same sorts of experiences you would get without any technology around or with older technology and so to go back to this app, this this uh, this app, Randonaut. Do I think that's the coolest name? Do I enjoy sitting here saying that I, a friend and I used an, an application called Randonaut, Rando Not? No. But you have to be willing. You have to be open to things that don't appeal appeal to you on an aesthetic level. And you have to be open to things that don't appeal to you on a, a phonetic level. Because that's all that is. Like if I were to make you, you know, a program that tells you to go to a certain dot on the map that's randomly generated with the expectation that you set an intention and try to facilitate a certain experience by going to that spot, I wouldn't have used the name Rando Not. It's not my style. But you have to be willing to look past that. Because that's not what the thing actually is. And this isn't me trying to sell this thing. I'm not trying to tell anybody to even use this thing. I'm just using it as an example of how technology, you know, 
once you get past the resistance you have to technology, to new technology, you can have the same sort of experiences you would have with anything else. And that includes inexplicable phenomenon, inexplicable phenomena. But you have to get past that resistance. And you have to learn how to actually inhabit that thing. And the reality is, is that one of the reasons people are so resistant to new technology is because it is scary. We have science fiction minds. I mean, the sorts of science fiction storylines that warn us about technology didn't come first. We had those fears in our mind. The reason why people write science fiction horror stories is because human beings naturally think that way. Human beings naturally think, what's going to happen if we make killer robots? What's going to happen if we create the internet? What's going to happen you know, if, if, we, if AI goes too far? Those are things that human beings naturally think. And while it seems silly to us today to say, well, were people writing science fiction about how books were going to destroy the world? Well, you see books play a large role in occult stories. There are horror stories, horror movies for that matter, that involve necronomicons, people using books that actually open a doorway to something horrible. So that idea is there. And that storyline isn't entirely different from any science fiction storyline that warns you about technology. A story that tells you, don't open the Necronomicon and read the words, or else you'll manifest demons. To me, that story isn't entirely different from the idea of, hey, don't develop computer AI, otherwise it will turn into a demon and destroy humanity. To me, those aren't that different. Even though aesthetically they're different, even though they feel different to us because we live in a certain time and place, those stories aren't that different. But the positive side of it isn't that different either. And that's why, as silly as it sounds to set intentions, when you set a positive intention or, or an interesting intention, because I don't ask for things. You know, anytime that I do, and I don't sit around trying to manifest things, I'm way more focused on doing things and trying not to think about those things while I'm doing them. You know, th you know that said, you know, when I do think about manifestation and wanting to manifest something, I tend to not ask for good things to happen to me. I tend to ask for interesting things. I tend to seek interesting things. And of course, a general well-being. You know, part of my meditation is focused on a general well-being. is just about everybody's is. Both for myself, although I don't think about that while I'm doing it. But for everything and everyone. But, you, and, but I mean, you can do the same, you know, negatively as well. You can use an app like Randonaut and say, like, oh, I'm, I'm uh, 
you know, let's set our intention to death. And then you find a, a suitcase with a hacked up body, like those kids in Seattle. Or you can say, hey, you know, I want to find some place refreshing and interesting. And it'll take you to a random trail that you didn't even know existed, that nobody seemed to know existed. And you do feel refreshed and you do feel interested. You do inhabit that place. And I think this goes back to one of the earliest night schools where I was talking about how, you know, the supernatural can inhabit any technology. Because you think about a house and, you know, a house is technology too. We don't think of it that way. In the same way, we don't think of books as technology, but your house is technology too. And you think about a haunted house. And what that is, is it's a spirit has possessed technology. You could be talking about a hut. You could be talking about a, a hut that's made out of mud and leaves. And that's still technology. It's lower down on the totem pole, on the timeline, than our current technology. But it's still technological. Somebody built something that didn't otherwise exist. And you don't think about a, a haunted hut. But... You know, and it's funny how our idea of like a haunted house is very much stuck in a certain time and place. Like when you think about a haunted house, you think about a haunted mansion. You think about Victorian architecture. You think about a certain time period. Like when you think about a haunted house, you don't think of like a McMansion that was built 15 years ago. You don't think about a brand new condo but that could be just as haunted as anything else. You know, a brand new condo can end up haunted just like anything else. But when we hear haunted house, we're, you know, thinking about the aesthetics of it. We're thinking like, like, cause something about like Victorian architecture, like a big old dark Victorian house, something about that makes the idea of a ghost or a spirit, possession, the supernatural, something makes that more aesthetically appealing. And if you're staying in an old haunted house, you know, if you're staying in a, a ho an old hotel, like when I was a teenager, I went to Wales, and we stayed in an old castle that had been converted into a hotel, and you felt like that place was haunted because it looked like a haunted castle. You know, it wasn't an ancient stone castle. It was, it was relatively modern by castle standards, but it was an old castle. And you could hear wild peacocks shrieking all night. There were these weird little underground areas. You know, so the place, you know, felt like it should be haunted. If it wasn't haunted, it, it should have been. But a place like that makes you think haunted house. Whereas, you know, if you stay in a modern condo, if you, if you stay in, a, in a, a Four Seasons hotel, you're not going to think that way. But it's just as possible. Assuming you believe places can be haunted. I mean, I'm not trying to make the point that... I'm not trying to make any point about ghosts or anything like that. Believe it or not, I'm not trying to make any point about ghosts. 
I'm just using this as an example that, you know, houses are technology too. And like books, we have a tendency to think that a certain time period makes for a better haunted house. When in reality, the house really has little to do with it, except for the way that it makes you feel. In the same way that a book makes you feel different when you read it. But if you can clear that, if you can clear that from your mind, that presumption that inexplicable phenomena can only happen in Victorian houses or in leather-bound books. Like, if you can get away from that way of thinking, you'll actually find that inexplicable phenomena happen everywhere and anywhere, regardless of the aesthetics, regardless of the time period. Because I guarantee you, there were people who thought their hut was haunted. Back when people were living in mud huts, there was somebody who felt that their hut was haunted. And when people started developing more modern architecture, somebody uh, who lived in a, a mud hut probably thought, like, that house can't be haunted, that house isn't scary. But you go forward thousands of years and now our idea of a haunted house depends on a, cer a certain aesthetic, but really it has nothing to do with it. We just associate it with that. And, for, and one of those reasons is because you were introduced to certain ideas that way. Like one of the reasons why you think of a Victorian mansion when you think of a haunted house is because that's how you were introduced to the idea of haunted houses. That's how you were introduced to the idea of ghosts. And so when you're young, when you're younger, when you're new to the world, you're less likely to judge things on that level. Like a kid who is born with a Kindle in his hand is more likely just to take it exactly as it is and is going to have an easier time immersing himself in his Kindle. Immerse, inhabiting the Kindle. I'm going to get that tattooed on my shoulder. Inhabit the Kindle. And if someone asks me what it means, I'm going to say it's a lyric I wrote. It's a poem that I turned into lyrics. No, but a kid who, who's introduced to the world that way, they inhabit it. And if you've seen little kids use phones, if you've seen little kids use smartphones, they're extremely good at them. And we feel like they shouldn't be. Like, I, I had an experience a few years ago where I went to a hockey game with some friends, and they were babysitting a friend's kid, and I spend very little time with kids. You know, I'm around kids very, very rarely, so it's always new. And they, one of my friends who was babysitting this kid, and I think he was like four or five years old, maybe, I think, let's say four. They let him like play some game on their phone and he knew exactly what he was doing. Like he knew how to use this smartphone like he'd used it all his life because he had. He was introduced to a world where his parents had smartphones. It's like, I grew up in a time where TVs were already there. TVs weren't introduced to me after I'd been alive for 20 years. TVs were just there. I didn't question it. So I didn't have any other thoughts when I would watch TV as a kid other than 
inhabiting it other than being immersed in whatever it was I was watching. I didn't think about like the politics of watching TV. And it seemed strange to me at the time that you would commonly hear people say things like during my entire childhood, like, you know, the whole like TV rots your brain. Like people actually said that. You know, I had a friend and, and his mom let him watch an hour of TV a day because she thought that if he watched more than an hour, something bad would happen. She was actually scared of TV on a certain level. And I understand the idea of being scared of the content and all that, but it, it didn't even seem to be based around her worrying about the content on TV. It seemed that she was just scared of the TV. And like, she grew up with TV too, but it's like, you know, living in the age of cable. For whatever reason, you know, she had this fear. And we saw that with the internet where people were terrified of the internet. And as we can see now, there is stuff to be afraid of with it, but it's not what we thought about. You know, the stuff that people were terrified about with the internet in 1996 didn't end up being the problem. The three things that people were afraid of when it came to using the internet in 1996 were your wife's going to leave you for a guy in a chat room, your kid's going to get abducted by a pedophile, an audiophile, and somebody's going to steal all of your personal information and credit cards. And that was what people were scared of when it came to using the internet in 1996. It turns out the thing that people actually should have been afraid of was just ordinary civilian people like them. Most of the grief that people experience online in 2021 is just other normal people's opinions. So it's funny that with the internet we were afraid of these creepy figures lurking in the corners. Men who will steal your wife. Men who will steal your children. Men who will steal your identity. All three of those things are pretty much everything that matters to you if you have a family. Your own identity, your wife, and your kids. And, and that's primitive. Not primitive as, as in stupid, but it's the same fear somebody would have had thousands of years ago. Oh gee, there's something new being introduced to the world. And I'm worried that it's going to hurt me my kids or my wife that's the same primitive fear that's always existed it's just that it scares us in different ways but it's still the same base fear but that didn't end up being the biggest problem like even though there were reports of those things even though those things happened like even though people's wives did leave them for that chat room Casanova. There's a chat room Casanova who's gonna steal my wife. You know, even though that happened, even though there were audio files on the internet who told your children that if they bought better headphones, they'd hear the music clearer and it poisoned their minds forever and now they can't even enjoy music. Even though audio files were doing that to children, 
it didn't end up being as big of a problem as people thought it would be. Even though identity theft and credit card fraud and all of this stuff does happen online, it didn't really end up being more of a threat than somebody stealing your wallet going to the grocery store. And that doesn't stop people from going to the grocery store. Like the idea that there could be a thief in a public place who will reach into your pocket like a magician and take your wallet out doesn't stop most people from going out into society. Just like the reality that if you go to the wrong website, if you input your credit card information into a, a website that's pretending to be another website, yeah, somebody will steal your information, but it doesn't stop you from using the internet. People got comfortable with their new reality. People got comfortable with the technology. And because of that, you know, people are able to inhabit it. Like, I first started to notice strange things happening online when I was a teenager. I was, and I have to say too, even though I am naturally conservative when it comes to new technology, I wasn't that way about the internet. When the internet was introduced when I was a kid, I wanted it. I used it at a neighbor's house and I thought, I'd like to use this myself. I'd like to have access to this in my own time. But I think part of that is because I was young enough, in the same way that I was born into a TV world. And so for me, it was absurd to like limit your TV time. Like, yeah, you don't want to watch TV all day. But the idea that TV in and of itself was bad for you was a very foreign idea because I was just born with the reality that TV was there. I didn't have some sort of reservation about it. There was some stuff on TV I liked, some stuff I didn't like. There was some stuff on TV that made me an inhabitant of the television world. There were shows that I watched that made me forget everything else. But there were also shows that brought me back to the real world and told me, hey, this is boring, this sucks. So the TV was just a, it was a medium. And yes, yeah, sitting in a chair and eating potato chips all day and watching television all day is not going to be good for you. But you know what? If you were to sit in that chair without a TV in the room and eat potato chips on the couch all day, that's not going to be good for you either. It's going to be just as bad for you. So it really has nothing to do with TV at all. It's just, hey, don't sit there eating bad stuff. Don't stay in one place all day. That would have been a much better message to tell kids instead of the TV is going to damage you. And yeah, you can get into the idea that like, yeah, some of the programming is bad. Like morally, ethically, culturally bad for you. That's a whole other argument. But people as a kid, when I was still a kid... They weren't even approaching it from that angle. Like, yeah, you would meet Christian families. Like, I knew some Christian families growing up. And they wouldn't let their kids 
see certain movies or watch certain shows because it went against their Christian morals. But when I'm talking about that family that like limited their son's TV watching to an hour a day, it wasn't for moral reasons. It was because they just thought that the TV was going to be bad for him. But with me, I think the reason why I was so open to the internet when it came about was one, because it was fascinating and still is. But two, I was young enough to where my mind hadn't really formed, you know, aesthetic taste. It hadn't really formed, like, I just wasn't a fully formed person. I was still in the raw. So the fact that I was like eight, nine, ten years old, I was probably like nine years old when I first was introduced to the internet. And then I think my family got some sort of primitive version of it. Now, here's what my family got. You know, my we got AOL when I was probably around 11 years old. But our internet connection was so bad, or our computer, I don't know what it was. I wasn't a computer whiz back then. But our connection or our computer was so bad that we couldn't actually use the internet. We could use AOL. We could go to chat rooms. We could, go to, we could use Instant Messenger. We could go to what were called AOL hometown pages, which were these pages within AOL. But they didn't have anything interesting on them. Like the actual internet was something that we couldn't access for a couple years until we got a better modem or something. Uh, but uh, the point I'm making though is just that I think that I was more accepting of this new technology that everybody was afraid of because I was so young and I just saw it as something new and fascinating and I hadn't developed any kind of fear. Like I knew that I wasn't going to get hoodwinked by a pedophile or excuse me, an audiophile. I had a good enough head on my shoulders as a kid to know that no audiophile was going to find me and recommend the latest headphones or, or speaker system to me. And I didn't have a wife and I didn't have a credit card. So what did I have to be worried about? I didn't have anything to be worried about. I remember being scared of certain things like scared of giving anybody my personal information, things like that. And by personal information, I even just mean my name. But that was just being smart. Like if you're a little kid, you, you don't go up to random strangers at the grocery store and tell them your name either. So why would I do it on the internet? But I didn't have like the, the family man fears. I didn't have the fears that a family man would have who thinks, oh God, if I install an intranet connection in my home, there go my wife, there go my kids, and there go my identity and my credit card. You know, I just, I didn't have those fears, so I was just like, I'm going to get something out of this. I'm going to learn something from this. I'm going to experience this. I don't know what. And looking back, I wouldn't be able to tell you, like, about any synchronicity that happened or anything when I was a little kid using the internet for the first time. But it did put me in contact with certain people. It did put me... I, I managed to find certain information that impacted my life. It ended up being important in some way. 
And I don't think that that would have happened if I approached it from a place of fear or reservation. I don't believe that would have happened if, uh, I, if I didn't inhabit it. And uh, the same is true now. And by inhabit, I don't mean spend all your time on it. I just mean while you're using it, coming from an honest and pure place. And a lot of the people who seem to have the most grief with technology tend to be people who aren't coming from a pure place to begin with. So they really don't even have a chance. You know, they, they really don't even have a chance of actually using this thing, of being a part of this thing. But, uh, so, you know, just to, to circle back to what I was originally talking about, this Randonaut app, on an aesthetic level, do you think that I like using a smartphone to generate a random point? Do you think I like the name Randonaut? No. But it's just one step in a larger process. It's just, it's just one little notch. And it's a notch that we can rest on right now to have fun. Am I telling you to download it so that you can go to a random place when you're bored? No. I'm just saying that my friend and I have had a little bit of fun with it. And I, I remember I, I brought up rap music at the very beginning of this episode. And that's what led me to talking about Randonaut. And the reason why that reminded me of Randonaut was because... It took us to this place that I was aware of. It was like, there's kind of this lake community. It's not kind of a lake community. It's a lake community. It's a bunch of houses that are built around a lake. It's not private, but I would say it's semi-private. You really have no business there unless you live there. And so it took us there. And we were like, this is a great place to walk. Let's walk here. And when we pulled up, it was really interesting because there was this big group of Mexicans playing either basketball or tennis. I guess it was basketball. Basketball? Tennis? I don't even know the difference. What came first in the technological timeline of humanity? Tennis or basketball? Probably tennis. Probably some form of tennis. Hitting things. Hitting small things with a stick probably came before... I don't know. Is that baseball? I don't even I don't even know. When people used to hit sticks or hit rocks with sticks, was that an early form of baseball or an early form of tennis? Well, it turns out calling it either one is revisionism. Cuz really what people were doing was just hitting sticks with rocks and having fun. But anyway, so there's this big like group of uh, you know, young Mexican guys playing basketball and they were blasting uh, what do you call like salsa music? And it was extremely refreshing. Like we pulled up, parked the car, and this music was just blaring. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, like, because like, I guess I'm so used to going to a park, and if people are playing basketball, they're blasting rap. I'm so used to cars driving by blasting rap. So pulling up and having these guys just aggressively playing basketball, listening to salsa music was refreshing. And, you know, I'm sure if I lived in a community where that was around me all the time, I'd get sick of it. 
But because this was a rarity, because it contrasted with my normal expectations of like, oh, it's a bunch of guys playing basketball, blasting rap music. I was like, this is refreshing. It's more to my aesthetic. It has more aesthetic appeal to me. But I just wanted to clarify that. I wanted because I know I mentioned that at the beginning. But that was a thing that you know people used to say about rap music that I was getting into. Where like when I was in the same way that like when I was growing up, older people would say like TV rots your brain. And I want to make it clear that that's not just a. That's not a parody. Like, even though that became a joke, the idea that TV rots your brain, people actually said things like that. Parents actually enforce rules based around that. I would call that pseudoscience. I would say that the idea that television rots your brain is pseudoscience. That might just be me, though. Maybe the science has proven that people's brains are actually rotting as a result of too much television. But you also hear people say, like, rap's not music. Blah, blah isn't music. Heavy metal's just screaming. I mean, some of it is. But I remember hearing people talk about... I remember hearing, like, old people talk about Guns N' Roses when I was a kid, and they'd be like, he's just screaming. And he is screaming, but it's a, it's a controlled scream. And so people approach, like, new art the same way they do technology. You know, like, when I was a kid, and, like, and, you know, older people were introduced to those things when, when they were first introduced to rap or, you know alternative rock whatever was going on at the time they were resistant to it but if you were born into that like if you were born into a world where rap music already exists where alternative rock already exists you don't really question it you just you either like it or you don't it's like me watching tv as a kid like i wouldn't say that i just loved tv because there was a lot on tv i didn't like and i had no interest in there were things on TV I liked and things on TV I didn't like. And I wanted to watch the things I liked. And interestingly, you know, synchronicity happens often with game shows. Reruns of game shows. There was a period where I was living with my mom and I'd be out, you know, living my life and something would come up maybe once or twice and it'd be like, huh, it just, it's stuck in my brain. And then I would go home and my mom would be watching game show reruns. She'd be watching the game show channel and it would ask a question directly related to something that had gone on that day, like a conversation I had had with something, something very specific. I mean, I remember one example where I was invited to this board game night which is not my thing. Like, that's the kind of thing that I'll... I'll like, I, I had a friend who was going to these board game nights, like, every week. Every week, someone would host this board game night. And I'm not super into board games. You know, I have fun... You know, it's an earlier form of technology. But I'm, it is. But no, I've, I've never been, like, a board game guy. But yeah, I've had fun playing board games, sure. And I... was invited to this board game night some years back... And uh, the word Eddie came up. Like E-D-D-Y, I believe it's spelled. 
and I, if, if I have, I, I could be wrong, but I think it refers to a swirling pool of water. And this game, for whatever reason, this game, it referenced an eddy. And I asked the other people, like, what is that? And they were like, oh, it's, it's, it's like a swirling pool of water, like near rocks. I don't know what it is. It's something like that. And then I went to my mom's house and I walk in and she's watching some game show, like maybe Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, one of those shows. And the question is literally about eddies. The question was pretty much the exact question I asked. And I just, you know, that's fun. It doesn't mean that eddies now have a vital role in my life. That synchronicity, it didn't communicate to me, like, find the nearest eddy. Dedicate your life to staring at an eddy when you find one. It just made me say, whoa. Just made me say, whoa. That's all. And that's all it has to be. But anyway, yeah, it's funny. Like, board game nights, it's, it's all kind of the same thing for me. Like... The idea of going to one board game night sounds really fun, but like the idea of doing that every week is a nightmare. And usually when someone has a board game night, it's one of those things where they have trouble keeping people involved because most people don't actually want to go play board games every week. But yeah, it's like one of those things, go do it once, not really a reason to do it again. It's like I had some coworkers who set up a, like a pickup basketball game that we would do on Saturdays. We did it two or three times and they wanted to keep doing it. And it's like the reality of this just doesn't work, man. I don't want to play, I don't like basketball enough to want to do this every week. But anyway, this has, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. The point is, is that I experienced this weird little synchronicity through a game show. And that's happened many times. The quadruple burning bush synchronicity I experienced years ago also involved a game show. It also involved the speakers in a grocery store bathroom. It also involved a podcast that I watched and then a different podcast that a friend watched who then mentioned to me this, oh, I saw this interesting thing about the burning bush. You know, so you have multiple forms of technology all facilitating this synchronicity surrounding a burning bush. What can you take from that? Well, at the very least, you can say technology is just a conduit. Technology is just a medium for those sorts of experiences. Just like technology is just the medium, it's the, it's just, you know, the host. It's not the idea, it's the host. Just like the haunted mansion is a host for the ghost. I, I truly did not intend to rhyme that. And let's just forget that I did. But, uh, you know, just like a, a Victorian mansion, to us is how ghosts should, like, in our human minds, ghosts should inhabit Victorian mansions. And the idea of a ghost inhabiting a brand new condo seems kind of silly. And, and we feel like telling that ghost, hey, maybe you shouldn't 
inhabit that place. Maybe you should go over to that abandoned house, that old abandoned house. But the ghost doesn't choose it. You know, the ghost doesn't choose its medium, its, uh, its host. And there's a lot of paranormal stories about radios. I mean, I haven't even gotten into that, which, you know, I think everybody knows about that. Weird signals. A lot of people have had strange experiences with radio, especially in the days when everybody listened to them. So you can see where strange experiences for, you know, getting away from terms like supernatural, spiritual, unseen strange things happen through any given technology from any given period. And sometimes they can be silly, sometimes they can seem serious, sometimes they can scare you, sometimes they make you laugh. They really bring out the full spectrum. And that's what you get anytime you're inhabiting something. Anytime you are truly experiencing something and inhabiting it, you get to experience the full spectrum. And you can't necessarily choose what part of that spectrum you're going to experience. But the point is, you are experiencing it honestly and purely. And that's why when I did that episode about nature phones, about how the smartphone should be called a nature phone, because it's just as natural as everything else, the point I was making is if you use that honestly, you will get honest results. Like, if you use social media in an honest way, if you set the right intention, there we go again. Here we go again. No, but if you set the right intention when you're using social media, you're far more likely, I don't want to say you're guaranteed, but you're far more likely to get a pure result. It doesn't mean your life's going to be changed in some substantial way, but you're going to be better for it if you feel the need to use that thing. Because a lot of people have this ball and chain relationship to these things. Like, there's a lot of people who use social media and they think like, oh, this is a ball and chain. God, I I really want to delete this thing, but uh, I just, I, I still need it. I really want to, hey, I, I, uh, I really want to delete my social media, but it's a, it's a ball and chain and I'm just stuck to it. You're probably not going to get good results with that mentality. Whereas if you look at it, and if you don't want to use it, don't use it. But just if you're going to use it, you might as well decide to use it honestly. You might as well try to just inhabit it. And when I say inhabit, I don't mean spend all your time on it. I want to make that clear. I'm just saying you should be there. Your mind shouldn't be somewhere else. You shouldn't be scheming. You know, you shouldn't be thinking, you know, it shouldn't be an experience where you are just looking, it shouldn't be like that experience of reading a book and realizing that, oh hey, I don't remember anything that happened in the last five pages because I'm not inhabiting this book. If you're gonna use the internet, use it in the same way you would 
you know, a book. <laughs> Make sure you're there. And if you're not there, if you are too distracted, do something else. Inhabit something else. Because I do think that we as human beings are sort of on this merry-go-round where you can't always inhabit the thing you want to inhabit. And sometimes the solution is just to meditate. Sometimes the solution is just to go for a walk. But fortunately, we are constantly developing technology. We're constantly making things. And so you have a lot of options. You have a lot of different things you can inhabit physically. If you don't like the way it feels to be at home right now, if you're sitting at home and you're, you're feeling anxious and you don't, you turn on the TV and no, there's nothing on you want to see. There's nothing on the internet that's interesting to you. There are no books you want to read. Well, just try moving. Try going for a walk. Try going somewhere else. Inhabit another place. Chances are there is somewhere or something you can inhabit when you feel that way. And again, it might just be that you need to inhabit yourself. You might need to just sit and, and learn to meditate. Because at the core of all of this, to close this all out, at the core of all of this is the fact that, yes, we as human beings are natural. We as human beings are nature. And that's an important point that I have to make because we tend to not see ourselves that way. Even though we see ourselves as flesh and blood and hair, we have a tendency to talk about ourselves as if we ourselves are not part of nature, that we ourselves are not nature at all, which is why we make parks and go on these camping trips and excursions that make us feel more natural. Because we're constantly seeing ourselves as something supernatural. And there are relatively few people out there who are actually comfortable inhabiting themselves. And what do you do about that? I mean, people spend their entire lives trying to solve that problem. And some people figure it out. Some people do a good job trying. But just developing the skill to sit with yourself like the idea that you can't sit on the couch by yourself doing nothing with no sensory input tells you you're not entirely comfortable inhabiting yourself. Yeah, you, we all get bored. But I mean, I sometimes think this way about meditation where I'll feel like I'm not in the mood, like I'm not in the mode, like I'm not in a place where I can get into that deeper trance-like state that I like to be in when I meditate. But sometimes I have to remind myself that just the fact that I can sit down with my eyes closed while I'm awake, not napping, just sitting, the fact that I, I've, I can do that without feeling uncomfortable. And even if I don't reach a deeper state, 
it doesn't make a difference because hey the fact that I've actually developed the ability to sit with myself by myself with nothing else coming in or going out I wouldn't have been able to do that four years ago and it's what a lot of people experience when they first start meditating which is horror anxiety invasive thoughts things they don't want to deal with and so just developing the ability to sit there at all regardless of what kind of spiritual state you're in regardless of why you're doing it just developing the ability to sit there and not be bored not be thinking about what you're going to do next but just to be right there inhabiting your own body that itself is a pretty big accomplishment in my life I'm not trying to pat myself on the back too much here but sometimes I have to remind myself of that when I'm really not in meditation mode when I wake up late and I think yeah I don't think I'm gonna get into the state of mind you know I have to make my coffee and drink it and by the time I do that am I really gonna want to sit down and meditate and you know sometimes like I have to remind myself that yeah even though you're not in a place where you're gonna reach that transcendental state that Zen Satori whatever it is whatever placeholder word you want to assign to that state just being able to sit there and not hate it is something that I can do now that I couldn't have done four years ago because I'm comfortable inhabiting myself it doesn't mean I love everything about myself I mean I, I kind of do <laughs> I kind of do no but uh, it it doesn't mean you know it has nothing to do with pride comfort isn't pride like when you're feeling comfortable it's not a feeling of pride like yeah maybe some Sultan who's, who's stretched out on a bunch of cushions with his harem surrounding him maybe he's proud of that but it's not actually his pride isn't actually about the comfort he's experiencing there's no pride in comfort so developing the ability to just inhabit yourself with nothing else going on to be able to sit to be comfortable with yourself that's a pretty big deal and I feel that if you can learn to inhabit yourself that way you're far more likely to inhabit the other things you use and interact with the tools that you use in a way that you're able to you're able to inhabit other things from a similarly pure state if you yourself learn how to inhabit yourself in a pure way This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning
morning sun reveals her hills and plains. I see a land where children can run free. So take.